Head over to Hulu this March, where our new shows and movies will keep you streaming all month long. Catch the acclaimed movie All of Us Strangers, starring Paul Mescal and Andrew Scott. Stream the new Hulu original limited series, We Were the Lucky Ones, with Joey King and Logan Lerman. And don't forget about Grey's Anatomy. Every Grey's episode ever is now streaming on Hulu. So, what are you waiting for? Go stream something new on Hulu. This is an RNZ podcast. Hello, I'm Simon Morris. Far away from the writing-by-numbers world of the popular franchise, the renditions of successful children's books and timely revivals of classic fiction, Shakespeare, Dickens, Austen, Victor Hugo and Leo Tolstoy, there are the simple original story films. They may be entirely true stories, stories based on reality, or tall tales grown from scratch by their optimistic creators. But their purpose is usually the same, to tell us something we didn't know already. When I was your age, television was called books. And this is a special book. It was the book my father used to read to me when I was sick, and I used to read it to your father. And today I'm going to read it to you. Well, that's the job of any writer, of course. In fact, you could say that's what all art does, processes the mundane through the imagination of someone creative. And the fewer the number of creative people, the less chance that something will get lost in translation. That's a cut. OK, we're back in. We are back. We are in. All right, hold it down, people. Hold it down. Scene six, rolling. And that's the problem with movies. It's a collaborative business, and on any given set, at any given moment, there are at least a dozen people more than capable of ruining the original great idea. It's generally best to save finding out the story behind the story of any movie until long after you've seen it. sex with Jeff. So? I never thought of it that way. At least one of today's three movies on display had, shall we say, a checkered career in which both the star and the director took a hike long before the rap party. Well, ironically or not, that one turned out to be the film I enjoyed most this week. Are you people insane? I'm the director. I make the casting decisions around here. I thought this was a group effort. But without prejudice, let me say that today's programme includes an Israeli film that tackles the year's hot topic, sexual harassment in the workplace. This week's Me Too movie is called Working Woman. By contrast, the harassment visited on the two keepers of the lighthouse may not be sexual, at least not much, but it's pretty much everything else. It also harasses the viewer's eyeballs with gloomy black and white images captured in a small square frame.
The Lighthouse is described as a New England folktale by the director of the equally confronting The Witch a couple of years ago. But first, a story so unlikely it has to be true. The Professor and the Madman. When I read, I can fly out of this place on the backs of books. I've gone to the end of the world on the wings of power. We are linked now, brothers. When you learn that the stars of The Professor and the Madman are Mel Gibson and Sean Penn, it's easy to make the wrong assumption. In fact, the earnest Sean Penn is the film's madman, while the frequently eccentric Gibson plays The Professor, with a Braveheart-style Scottish accent to boot. An American and Scott, one Oxford, one Yale, one brilliant, one mad. I have a witch's witch. In fact, even the title Professor is inaccurate. James Murray was a humble schoolteacher, one with no degree. He was completely self-taught, and like many autodidacts, he rather overreached himself. When the planners of the Oxford English Dictionary challenged Murray to show some qualifications, they got rather more than they bargained for. I'm fluent in Latin and Greek, of course, and beyond those, uh, I have an intimate knowledge of the Romance tongues. Italian, French, Spanish, Catalan, and to a lesser degree, Portuguese, Vaudois, Provençal, and other dialects. In the Teutonic branch, I'm familiar with the German, Dutch, Danish, and Flemish. In 1872, the dictionary had founded on its own ambitions to not only provide definitions of every word in the English language, but trace definitive origins of the words and offer authoritative timelines of when they first appeared seemed beyond Oxford scholars. We have been attempting to make this dictionary for the last 20 years. The task is gigantic. And impossible. There is a we. An appeal to the English-reading public. Hence the arrival of the polymath Murray, who also offered a solution to the most pressing problem, to wit, it was completely beyond the capacity of just a few academics. Murray suggested democratising the dictionary, invite the entire English-speaking public to contribute. We'll ask them to read in search of the words that we want and get them to write the word on the slip of paper. All words and their complete history. Every last one. But the enthusiastic amateurs often proved as limited as the Oxford professionals. They simply didn't seem to have read enough, particularly 17th century English literature. Until one day, that all changed. Your work is taking too long. It's not a single page to show for it. It's bloody hopeless! The language is developing faster than our progress. Ah, it's a miracle. You are the centre to saviour. Now, anyone who knows the story of Murray and his meeting with a well-educated American doctor called William Minor has heard it pretty much in this order. The Greater Oxford Dictionary was a vast undertaking and was grateful to take any help on offer, but they weren't prepared for Dr Minor's situation. New volunteer. Who is he? So this is the good doctor. <laughs> I cannot believe my eyes. All right. William Minor had been charged with the brutal murder of an innocent man. The facts were indisputable, but was found not guilty for reason of his obvious insanity and was therefore sent to Broadmoor for the rest of his days. 
is hereby this court's ruling that you shall be detained in safe custody at Broadmoor Asylum for the criminally insane. But his insanity and his obsessive love of books proved the very qualities required to tackle endless series of words. As played by Sean Penn with a daunting collection of hair pieces and false whiskers, Minor turns to this monumental task as a way of, in some way, atoning for his crime. I have no man's friend. I am a murderer. Madness gives words. Meanwhile, Mel Gibson dials back his usual melodramatics and offers a restrained and humane James Murray. The script and direction of The Professor and the Madman are credited to Iranian-born Farhad Safinia under a pseudonym for some reason. Safinia had worked with Gibson before on the Mayan thriller, yes, there is such a thing, Apocalypto. You think I'm insane? You do experience yourself as being under threat. I only need books. It was possibly Safinia's idea to tell the story in the opposite order to the usual tabloid account. Rather than building to the shock reveal, famous dictionary written by a murderer, this film opens on the murder and then explores Dr Miner's illness and treatment before heading to the cloisters of Oxford. Our gathering so far, we've only just started. William Miner will be struck from all acknowledgements. What are you so afraid of? The bad man can be redeemed. An intriguing timeline is one sign of a good director, another is a good cast, and many of the supporting actors are familiar for far bigger roles. Steve Coogan, the great Eddie Marson as a sympathetic guard, and from Game of Thrones, strong performances from Stephen Delane and Natalie Dormer. I came here that first day to wait you. To take your money, what you locked away, see you done. You should still hate me. The story itself is intriguing, aside from the unlikely people involved who knew how much work went into a dictionary anyway, long before the invention of computers. And the professor and the madman is told with care and decency, as two opposites share their extraordinary love of words. Kumquat. Abla. Bert. Prunes. Coconuts. <laughs> for all his regular brushes with the tabloids, Mel Gibson, who drove this project for 19 years as both producer and star, is a good, sincere Hollywood filmmaker. And the films he backs are generally worth the effort. As Murray says, addressing the film's deus ex machina, Winston Churchill, no less, people should be judged by their achievements, not how they're portrayed by the media. Mr. Churchill! If you believe that every individual life deserves its own chance, you must set him free or he will perish. The big issue right now for anyone who's spent the last two years or so living under a rock is the dismal treatment of women in the workplace. Particularly, we're told, the Me Too women in the film industry, all too often dependent on powerful men to get that initial foot on the ladder of success. Oh, no, 
אנחנו מחפשים מישהי ניסיון בנדל"ן שתעזור לי פה. This is also for lovers of old school irony, an opportunity for Hollywood, often Hollywood men, to make successful movies on the subject. The recent bombshell leaps to mind, not to mention TV series like The Handmaid's Tale. Well, the latest is an Israeli film with the self-descriptive title, Working Woman. Now, I assume that the writer-director of Working Woman, Michael Aviad, was another man. But no, she's a director of mostly documentaries, and this film has all the welcome hallmarks of someone who knows what she's talking about. Orna Haviv is a full-time mother of three who wants to get back into the workforce. She's married to a struggling restaurant owner who's obviously keen on some extra money coming in. And this job for a highly successful property magnate called Benny looks very promising indeed. Orna had met Benny in the army, very Israeli. She'd been his sergeant and he was impressed by her obvious skills. Well, this job as Benny's top troubleshooter looks exciting. Everyone tells her what a great boss she's got and he's always there with useful tips on getting ahead. Often these tips involve dressing a little sexier, which perhaps should have sent up a red flag or two. The hours are grueling, particularly if there are problems at home with the kids. Benny rings night and day. He never seems to sleep. But he's clearly delighted with Orna's work. So delighted that one evening he gets a little physical. It's just a drunken kiss, but Orna takes it seriously. Today a kiss, tomorrow, who knows? How far does she have to be nice to Benny to maintain her progress at work? Do you want to go? Benny's reaction is apologetic. It meant nothing, she misunderstood. Orna agrees to forget it and say nothing. I'm sure this is all too familiar territory to half the audience. Benny may present as a nice guy, but the power is all in his hands, and the only power the employee has is to quit her job, which never looks good when you're looking for another one. (laughs) 
Well, as I've hinted, this is not exactly a novel story, and the way it's usually told, it ends either badly or implausibly. But while working woman is keen to show the reality of life in the corporate world, particularly for the capable, ambitious woman executive, director Aviad has no desire to depress a strongly female audience any more than she can help. Yes, life in the workplace is unfair. It's pretty unfair already, even before you add the sexual harassment element to it. And it's also a disgrace when the women who do much of the work should not only lose any credit, but also be treated as shabbily as Orna, first by her boss and later by her aggrieved husband when it all comes out. Why didn't you do something is the inevitable and unhelpful question, along with where's your sense of humour and don't tell me you're afraid of me. But Working Woman not only answers all those questions, it then does something about it. You go, girl, as they say in the hashtags. A few years ago, writer-director Robert Eggers dazzled the art houses with a bleak, scary bit of folklore called The Witch, set in early New England. I'd not heard of Eggers before, but I wasn't surprised to learn that one of his first short films was based on the Edgar Allan Poe shocker, The Telltale Heart. Eggers is clearly at home among 19th century folk tales, and he steps it up in his latest, simply called The Lighthouse. Lighthouse stories were not uncommon in the early days of radio and low-budget movies, often two people trapped in a single set with the sound crew providing wind, waves and thunder in the background. Actually, that's not a bad description of the setup of this lighthouse. Keeping secrets, are you? No, sir. Why just spill your beans? Two men, heavily bearded Willem Dafoe and strongly moustached Robert Pattinson, arrive on a small island to man the lighthouse. They pass the previous tenants on the way to the boat heading home. No words are exchanged. The senior man tends the wick of the warning light, hence the nickname Wicky to describe a lighthouseman, while the junior man, who calls himself Winslow, does the manual labour. Much of this involves fetching loads of coal in a wheelbarrow to fuel the mechanics of the light. What made your last keeper leave? He believed that there was some enchantment in the light. 
It's bleak, made even more so by being shot in icy black and white, with the framing almost entirely square, academy ratio, they call it. The weather is unrelentingly bad, and the length of the pair's stay is clearly dependent on when a boat can reach them. How long have we been on this rock? Five weeks? Two days? Help me to recollect... It might take a few weeks, it might take longer. So all you can do is try and make the best of things. Willem Dafoe plays Thomas, who's the chattier of the two, particularly after he's had a few drinks. He wonders why Winslow suddenly decided to stop working in the lumber yards up north and take up wickying. Tell me, what's a timberman want with being a wiki? Just looking to earn a living, just like any man. Starting new. On the run. But Thomas only wants to know so much. The last thing he needs is young Winslow burdening him with confidences. The constricted space of a lighthouse, he says, is no place for spilling the beans. Won't you spill your beans? Thomas and Winslow may be reluctant to delve into any sort of personal history, but there are any number of tasty snippets of maritime lore that Thomas is more than willing to share. The well-known superstition that gulls are the souls of departed sailors, for instance. The ever-present threat of mermaids. And, of course, the chance that a careless wiki can be driven insane by the light itself. Went mad, he did. Tall tales. Well, this is a film in which any of these events can take place, not least the onset of madness. As against all advice, confidences are shared, beans are spilled, and our two heroes become ensnared in a tale of mystery and imagination. Let Neptune strike ye dead, Winslow! All right, have it your way. All very Edgar Allan Poe, in other words, but with its own distinct flavour. Director Robert Eggers offers his two actors every challenge, and it's no surprise that the fearless Willem Dafoe is equal to anything thrown at him. He was nominated for an Oscar for his work. But Robert Pattinson is equally strong. The pretty boy days of the Twilight movies are a distant memory. It really is like nothing you've seen before, and it will leave you shattered. It's been a while since that's happened in a movie, I have to say. Well, as the light of this show flickers and dies, it's time to go. I'm Simon Morris, and I hope you'll join me at the movies same time next week. Botox Cosmetic, out of botulinum toxin A, FDA approved for over 20 years. So, talk to your specialist to see if Botox Cosmetic is right for you. For full prescribing information, including boxed warning, visit BotoxCosmetic.com. 
or call 877-351-0300. Remember to ask for Botox Cosmetic by name. To see for yourself and learn more, visit BotoxCosmetic.com. That's BotoxCosmetic.com.